Sunday, and so we're very glad you're here today. Um, it's a special day. We're going to take some time to honor our, our seniors, uh, present some Bibles to them, and then our shepherds are going to say a prayer of blessing over them in a little while. So we're very, very glad you're here today. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a trope? Not a tribe, not a troop, not tripe, but a trope. If not, allow me to, to share a definition with you. A trope is a storytelling device. It's a, it's a common reoccurring theme or idea that happens in, in books and TV and movies. And typically you identify a trope in a story because it's rather cliche, it's rather predictable, and you, you've seen it before. In fact, you already know of tropes, whether you knew that you already know that you knew of tropes. Did you follow that? I don't know if I followed that. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share some common tropes with you, and you'll, I think you'll start to ad- identify these uh, that we see and hear in, in movies and TV. So for instance, there is the will they or won't they? Will this couple ever get together? All these things, all these obstacles get in the way, and a new guy comes into town, and oh no. And so very common where you're watching this TV show wondering, will they or won't they ever get together? There is the ugly duckling where, oh, he or she is so unattractive. And then, wait, wait a minute, did they just take their glasses off? Wow, look at them now. You see that a lot. There is the casually walking away from the explosion. <laughs> Never mind all the shrapnel and the blast and, and all that. They're just calmly walking away. There is the old lady crossing the street or the woman with a stroller during a car chase that inevitably happens every single time that you've got to avoid that. Um, let's see, I had a couple others. There's the he's not really dead. You know, they think that the villain's dead and then he pops up out of focus behind them. Uh, she's right behind me, isn't you? You, know, you say something stupid and they're standing right behind you. Um, they're you know, telling the, the detective, you're off the case. And then they go, what? They go work the case anyway, right? Um, the mirror jump scare. Like, I, I always picture the medicine cabinet. No one's in the medicine cabinet. Close it, and then all of a sudden, there's a ghost. There's a, I don't know, a villain. There's somebody there. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on this one. The, I've got to do this myself. And it may be hard to read this, but it says, Stand back, my fellow X-Men. This is one battle that Cyclops must fight alone. And then we see it in, in Empire Strikes Back, which it's really hard to see on this screen. But it's Obi-Wan's telling Luke, if you choose to face Vader, you're going to have to do it alone. So these, these oh-so-common story elements have, have been seen and used again and again. And like I said, they're cliche, they're predictable, and it's almost laughable. But, but that last one has got my attention today. The early church had, had a saying, and it's Latin, and I'm going to butcher it, so I apologize if anyone is a, is a Latin, uh, knows their Latin really well, but solus Christianus nullus Christianus. Again, it, it was a Latin phrase that basically meant a lone Christian, no Christian, or there, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. And it got me thinking because this idea of, I've got to do this on my own, that's prominent in, in fictional stories. And sometimes it's also prominent in our own stories. 
And these, these two thoughts of, this is something I've got to do myself, and alone Christian, no Christian, they're, they're in conflict with each other. So which, which is it? In, in my family, we, I, I would say we're pretty independent. That's just kind of the way we grew up. Uh, maybe not, it wasn't always great, but for me, it's, it's easy to see how we can take this idea of being an independent person a little too far. Maybe, maybe you can too. You know, it was almost exactly a year ago on Senior Sunday last year, because I only preach like two times a year anyway, um, but last year at Senior Sunday, I preached that we can't be lazy and we can't outsource our faith to someone else, to a preacher or to a teacher, that we can't pass off the responsibility of, of knowing the Lord, that, that you can't pass off the responsibility of the work of a relationship, but perhaps it's, it's too easy to go to the other extreme. Like maybe over here we have the laziness of I'm going to pass that off to somebody else. But over here we have the ultimate, I've got to do this on my own. I've got to do this by myself. And we forget that we remain dependent on so many and so many aspects of our life. I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word independence. Do you think of world history, uh, the, the 4th of July? Do you hear... Uh, do you, do you think of, of moving out on your own? You know, dependence, independence is, is clearly a good thing. We, we want that. It's desired. And growing up, we want to, well, we see it when we grow up, don't we? We want to we wanna tie our shoes all by ourselves. We want to feed ourselves. If you don't remember, go back and watch those home movies. Or go talk to your parents. Or go have kids of your own because you'll see it. It's like, let me, can, I, can I help you eat that? Can I help you? No, no, I want to do it myself. Oh, okay. I'll let you get all the food all over you, but not in your mouth, but okay. I think I could also say with a fair degree of certainty that we have some of our graduates that are probably chomping at the bit to uh, leave the nest and, and get some freedom. And I'm, I'm seeing a few heads nod, so I think, I think I'm on the mark on that one. So yes, independence is, is often wanted and can be very good. I, I believe it's healthy to have a, a certain degree of independence. But has our desire for independence caused us to lose sight of some things? Has, has this sentiment become so strong that any idea of being dependent on someone is, is seen as flawed and thus rejected? Because in many ways, dependence is seen as well, it's seen as weakness. I, I don't want to have to depend on someone else. That's, that's a weakness. Have we, have we inadvertently tried to become independent of God? Have we believed that we could make it on our own? It, it appears that even the Apostle Paul needed a reminder of this. As, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when, when Paul is going through a particular tough time, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Perhaps somewhere along the line, you've become convinced that there isn't a situation that you can't handle. That with enough willpower or with enough gumption 
or fortitude or whatever word you want to put in there that you can overcome anything. But here's, here's the rub in that thought process. If, if I can handle anything that comes my way, why do I need God? If it's just a matter of getting my act together or putting the, the pieces of the puzzle in just the right way, why would I need my Lord? If I could just handle the, the, the death of a family member, if I could just handle this cancer thing, if I could just handle my marriage falling apart, if I could just handle my kids, if I could handle my financial situation, you fill in the blank there. If I could just get a grip on that, I'll be fine. No, apparently God allows us to experience difficulties that are too much for us to bear alone so that we won't rely on ourselves, but we rely on God. In his book, Dinner with Skeptics, Jeff Vines speaks right to that topic. When asked how could God allow bad things to happen, part of Jeff's response is that God allows the world to be imperfect and flawed so that we will long for a place of perfection. So we'll long to be in heaven and what he provides. We will long for him so that we realize that I, I don't got this. I don't have this. Not without him. It's, it's with the Lord that we can make it through those tough situations. So we need to Realize that dependence on the Lord is not a weakness. In fact, dependence on Him is the ultimate source of strength. There's another thing that is meant to be a source of strength, and that's the church. You ever wonder why Jesus established the church? There are usually two positions on what the purpose of the church is. The, the first is to have a group where you can bring uh, someone who's not a believer yet, and they can get connected with Jesus. And then sometimes over on this side, the second position is like, well, this needs to be a place of believers where we can become mutually edified. And so I tend to lean kind of in the middle of that. How's that for being noncommittal? Uh, but I, I believe that, yes, it should be a great place to bring your neighbor or your coworker or your friend so that they can get connected with Jesus and they can maybe hear some things. But, but that's not the end goal. Getting them to a morning service is not the end goal. The, the ultimate finish line is, is not to get them into this building. To almost say, here you go, preacher. I got them here. Right? That's not it. It's the beginning of that relationship, the continuation of that relationship and your discipleship with them. And, and yes, this should be a place where we can come together and worship together and encourage one another, pray for one another, take the Lord's Supper together, be encouraged. But it can't just be about us because we worship a God that goes beyond these walls. So I believe that Christ established a church so we could come together, encourage one another, become refreshed, and then go back out into the world as His shining lights. Our time together is intended to remind us of our purpose and to be refueled in our efforts to demonstrate Christ everywhere we go. So solus Christianus, nullus Christianus, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Why? Because we won't last very long 
without each other. It, it makes me think of the creation story when, when God is creating the, the earth and the sun and the moon and the animals that crawled and swam and flew. And what did he say? This is going to take some little response time. What did, what did he say when he created those things? It's good. And then he created man. And what did he say about man? It's very good. And then we read in chapter 2, we see the story within that creation story, and we read that God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Man is the one thing that is not good when created alone. We were not intended to be alone. We were intended to be in community. Others have, have written about this, that no man is an island entire of itself. No one can whistle a symphony. It takes a whole orchestra to play. And even a, a quote attributed to Aesop, in union there is strength. I mean, even Coca-Cola gets it. The, the Coca-Cola company has come up with some very clever marketing ideas, and I want to briefly show you two, and I, I think you're going to pick up exactly on what they're trying to communicate. To make a Coke machine that takes two to get your drink, or to make a Coke bottle that it takes two to open, it's a very creative idea, right? And it, and it generated a lot of excitement, uh, because they based it on a fundamental truth, didn't they? That we're not intended to try to survive by ourselves, but we're supposed to be within community. We see this, there we go, in 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Many different parts, all working for the same goal. Let me share one last scripture with you. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is a great account of, of Jesus and his power and his authority and his ability to forgive us of our sins, but I stopped there for a reason. Here we have four friends of a paralyzed man who are determined for him to see Jesus. Four friends determined that their friend get to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, not necessarily the faith of the paralyzed man. We, we really don't know how the paralyzed man felt about this. He may have been encouraging them and saying, let's go, we can do this. Or he might have been saying, guys, look, look at the crowd. It's, it's, it, we can't do it. We don't know. We're not told how he felt, what his attitude was. But what we do see is how this story identifies the efforts of his friends. I once heard a youth minister tell a story about how he went to, to speak at a church, and he got there a little early, so he's kind of walking around the building. And he goes into one of the classrooms, and similar to ours that had the drop ceilings, you know, those, those tiles. And he looked up, and on the tile was four heads painted looking down. And he was like, what, what's going on with this tile? 
And they said, oh, that's from VBS. That was, that was that story of the paralyzed man, and we're going to paint over it soon. And he said, no, no, don't, don't paint over that. Because that is a great reminder of these friends who went to extreme lengths for their paralyzed friend. You know, if, if I were to put you on the spot and ask you to name them, can you think of four people that would go to any length to ensure that you were at the feet of Jesus? Who would they be? Can you, can you name them? Can you think of their names? Why solus Christianus? Why is that a valid statement? Because sometime in your life, you will very likely find yourself as the one in the stretcher. You may very well be the one paralyzed because of something going on in your life. Whether it's illness or death of a loved one or a natural disaster or debt or divorce or, or something. I don't know what it might be, but, but if and when it happens, are you going to have these people to carry your stretcher? And more importantly, are they going to be the ones who are carrying you to Jesus? Perhaps right now you're that friend. You may be doing that for somebody else and, and trying to comfort them and sit with them. And bring them to the feet of Jesus. So here's your challenge. If you're currently involved here at Belton in a small group or a ministry, I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Because it will continue to, to fortify your faith. And I don't mean to put you on the spot a little bit, but if, if you kind of just show up on Sunday and you're not really all that involved, whether you're in middle school or an empty nester or whatever, I, I really want to encourage you to get connected. Get connected to a small group or a class or, or a ministry here because it will strengthen you in ways that you cannot imagine. And being Senior Sunday, I kind of have to do a challenge for our graduates, right? So graduates, you're about to be on your own. No one is going to be there to make sure you get out of bed and go to church. For years, you've probably longed for independence and you will soon have it. But at the same time, I, I advise you to... to re, not reject a dependence upon the Lord or other Christians. Because if you wish to grow in your faith and deepen your relationship with God, having a, a church family that you're with on a regular basis is a necessity. It's not a bonus. It's not gravy. <laughs> it's a necessity. There's, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So yes, technically, I guess you could be a Christian alone, but I, I, I don't suspect it would be for very long. Maybe you could prove, prove me wrong on that, but for the long run, for the, for the Christian journey, we need to be connected to a community. We don't have to live a cliche. We don't have to handle this on our own. Because we were never meant to be independent of God. We were never meant to be independent from each other. We were intended to be in, in community with each other, to lean on one another, and to be encouraged by one another, to be spurred on by one another. And I don't know if you've ever been hit with spurs. It's not always pleasant. But we're supposed to be in community to be reminded of our purpose and refueled in our efforts to demonstrate Christ to our world. We hope that, we, that you can feel like this is your community. We, we want to serve you as a community today. If, if we can pray for you, 
we'd like to invite you to come up during our invitation song. If, if you'd rather pray with, uh, privately with an elder, they'll meet you in the back. If, if there's any way we can serve you and support you as your community, as your family, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.